Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Today. I said, praise the Lord, church. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We got a couple that are glad. Amen. One more. <laughs> Anybody else glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. All righty. I want to greet you all today, this morning. I'll be teaching Bible study. Um. And how many of you guys enjoyed that lesson this morning, that leadership lesson? How, it, was, it was good. And I, I, just told, I just told Brother, uh, Brother Whitley, I was like, I, I can't follow that. <laughs> I can't follow after you. That's, I should have gone first. I should have gone first so he could finish with a bang. But I am, I am honored to be here this morning. I want to give honor to our pastor. I want to honor our leadership of this church, honor Pastor Satan for giving me the, the opportunity to be here this morning to bring you all the word of God. And I'll be taking my text this morning from the book of Luke, chapter 4. And I'll be reading a very, very lengthy portion of scripture. So you, you probably may not have to, to get up. You can just stay sitting down. Yes, thank you, brother. You can sit back down. If you want to stand, that's fine. But I'm not going to force it because it's, it's, a, it's a lot. And I'll be reading from Luke, uh, like I said, chapter 4. Verses 14 through 37. So if you do the math, that's a lot. Amen. And I believe they have it. Oh, yeah, they do have it up there. All right. And, it, and he came to Nazareth, it begins. So, so just a little, a little context before I get into the word. Jesus had just been tempted in the wilderness. He had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, the devil tempted him three times, and now he comes into, he goes to Galilee first, and then he goes to Nazareth, which is his hometown where he was raised, all right? And then he came to Nazareth, I'm starting on verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 16. Yes, that's what I have. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And stood up for to read the word. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet uh, Isaiah, or Isaiah, uh, as they have it there. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So it said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear witness. So everybody looked at him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. So they were all in awe, like, oh my goodness, he just said that, right? And they said, 
It's not Joseph's son. Isn't that Joseph's boy? Uh, and he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, also, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the day of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel during the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the, the, the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. So, so they were all mad because he pretty much just told them, hey, I'm not going to be welcomed here. Just like, and, and I'm not going to be able to do works as I would like to do works here. Just as the time of the prophets, yeah, there was great need in Israel, but he went to a widow woman in a different place. And the lepers were in this place, but he had to go heal somebody else at a different place. And like I said, they, they, they heard these things. They were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon the, their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. So they wanted to toss him out of the city, throw him off a cliff, another uh, translation says. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What word is this? For with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they came out. And the fame of them went out to him in the very place of the country round about. That was pretty, pretty lengthy scripture. But what I want to, the, the message that I want to teach this morning is not stopped by rejection. Not stopped by rejection. And the reason why is because even though Jesus was rejected, he did not stop fulfilling what God had called him to do. Now, many of us, we may be rejected sometimes when trying to do the work of the Lord, but that should not stop us from completing the work of the, of the Lord. So let us pray for this word. If you can bow your head right there, right there in your seat, so we're going to pray for this word. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, Lord, and we pray, and I pray, Lord, that, that, that your word comes out forth and it brings revelation to somebody, and that will strengthen us and, and give us the power that we need to continue to do the great work that you have called us to do. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint every person in this place and give them power, empower them, Lord, to complete the, the, the calling that you have called them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, say amen. Amen. So... Now, Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth, right? Jesus was raised in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth because of Herod's persecution. So now, after so many years of being away from home, he now comes back. Now, those who have moved away from the place where they were raised 
usually appreciate the opportunity to visit home. How many of you guys have, have done that before? A couple of you, right? And for me, I would say it must be nice because I've been out of my home country for 17 years. I came here when I was eight years old uh, from Mexico, and I haven't been back. So I would guess it looks very different from when I left. I just remember when I left, they were just paving the street where I lived at, and they were putting light posts because we didn't have any of that yet. But I'm sure if I go back, it's going to be different. But it is nice to catch up with old friends and hear what has been happening with former neighbors and schoolmates, right? It's, it's good to meet your community again. Jesus was just like, like us. He also took advantage of the opportunity to visit his hometown of Nazareth. My understanding here is that it was the purpose for his return to his hometown was to fulfill a prophecy. In Luke 4.16, it tells us what he did. Uh, he says, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, Jesus wasn't doing anything different. There in verse 16, it says, at his custom was meaning as something he was used to doing. Other translations say he went as usual. This is something he usually did, meaning this is something he regularly does and that is going to the synagogue. If you just like me didn't understand what a synagogue is, here's how it is described because I used to confuse the synagogue with the temple, right? But the temple in Jewish life refers to the temple built in Jerusalem that was a central place of worship. And the synagogue historically and today has served as a gathering place for prayer, instruction, and community. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like a church, right? It continues to be the central uh, to be central to Jewish life today, as it was in the time of Jesus. So, what does this mean? That Jesus had always attended a place where there's prayer, instruction, and community. So, if Jesus did all that as a custom or as usual, what is stopping us, right? Uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, it says, And let us consider how we must spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Other, uh, the King James Version says, says it this way, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as, as it is the manner, as the manner of some is. Right? This is coming together, gathering in a place where we can pray, be instructed, be instructed, and have community. It's important, and it should not be forsaken. It should not be given up. Amen? Jesus shows us the importance of coming to a place of prayer, instruction, and community. And it's something he usually did. Like I said, it was his custom. But Hebrews 10 and 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, that is, is the manner of some, right? As the manner of some is. The New International Version says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. What it's saying there is some people have the habit or they usually don't do these things, right? They usually don't come together, right? I can testify to that. I, I didn't grow up in the church. I, Sundays were work days for me, lazy days for me, whatever it was. But many don't have a relationship with Jesus so many that don't have a relationship with Jesus can't relate to these customs. Perhaps this was the same synagogue where he had worshipped as a child because the people who attended there clearly knew his parents because they would ask, is not this Joseph's son in Luke 4.22? Now consider his growing status as a popular prophet. Uh, it says there in, in, 
in, in Luke 4, 14 through 15, that he was very popular, right? And it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit on, into Galilee, and there he went out a fame, no, and there went out a fame of him through the region roundabout, and he thought their synagogues being glorified of all. He was being glorified by the people there. So he was really famous because they were all glorifying. All the translations say that everyone praised him. Everyone praised him in the synagogues, right? So you would expect Jesus would have received a warm welcome considering he was a, a grown, uh, his, his status was popular as a, as a prophet. At first, it appeared the hometown crowd did recognize uh, his status for they invited him to address the assembly. But by the time he was finished, the Bible says their mood had soured considerably. It began good. It's like, you know, come, read the scripture. It all started good, but then they all were, will, were filled with wrath. Now, have you ever been around people that will listen to every joke or story you, you say, but as soon as you get biblical, they, have, they want nothing to do with you? I remember being, uh, being by the Chesapeake Bay. We were at the beach, and... and, and I, I used to tell scary stories. Like I was really good at that. So, so, so my family's like, "Hey, can you can you tell us one of your famous ones?" And I'm like, "How about I tell you the story of uh, uh, of David and Goliath?" And they're like, "We don't want to hear that." <laughs> so that's a good story, but you know, but they wanted to hear all the jokes and all the stories. But as soon as I was trying to get biblical, they they had nothing to do with that. Now, I'm not saying this is the case here because that's exactly what they were there for, the people in the synagogue. They were there to, you know, listen to the word of God. But the outcome was unimaginable. Who would imagine that Jesus, the praised teacher, would now become Jesus, the disliked teacher? He was praised at first, but now he's disliked. Anybody have a teacher in school that you didn't get along with as much? Anybody? Yeah, we... we Probably, right? I liked all my teachers, not all of them, but, you know, some I could stand, some were, you know. But it's not because they were bad. It was just they've done something bad, you know. But, you know, that's, that, that's what happened with Jesus. You know, he went from being the praised teacher to being the disliked teacher. And no prophet is accepted in his own country is what he's saying. Jesus' former neighbor were willing to accept him as the son of Joseph and Mary, but recognizing his status as a son of God was more than they were willing to consider. Instead of congratulating the hometown boy on what great job he's done preaching that day, the audience, it says here, was filled with wrath and sought to throw Jesus from a nearby hill. They were so mad, they were wanted to throw him off a hill. Um, in Luke 4, 28 and 29, it, it reminds us, and all they in the synagogue when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust them out of the city and led them to the brow of the hill whereon the city was built, that they might cast them down headlong. When I read that, I thought it said they cast them down head first, meaning they really wanted to get rid of them. But, you know, the NIV says it this way. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill, on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Pretty similar, really. You know, sometimes the people we love the most will not accept our decision to follow God's call. His anointing sometimes means foregoing acceptance from others, including those that are closest to us. They fail to recognize what God is doing in our lives, choosing instead to see us as we once were 
when you try to rejoice with them about the good that God has done in your life, they're filled with unbelief and they may say, God can't do that for you because of what you are, right? They still see the past, your past, as their present. They do not understand the change that has happened in us. I remember when I, when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm getting emotional. It was on a Wednesday night, and I remember being happy at a church, and I called, I called my family. I said, hey, I just, I just received the Holy Ghost. And they're like, what does that mean? I thought you got that in confirmation. <laughs> you know, Catholic people might know about this. But I was so excited because I, I've spoken in tongues for the first time. And my, my wife was w with me in the car, which was my, my girlfriend then, and, and she heard, you know, what they had to say about that. It was, they were filled with unbelief. Like, how can God move on you like that, knowing how you are, if you're still a bad person? In, in their eyes, I was still bad, you know, because I was doing bad things. That's probably why they said that. But some people, even our loved ones, will not recognize the, transform, the transforming power of God. Amen. Now, although this is, you know, not biblical, it is often true that family, uh, familiarity breeds contempt, right? Have you ever fallen in love with a franchise restaurant in a faraway city? I just fell in love with Shady Maple. I don't know if you guys know what that is. I was speaking to some, yes, a couple of you guys know. So it, it wasn't my bucket list to go. My wife and I just had the chance to go because we were close to uh, the marriage retreat. It was about 30, 45 minutes away from there. So we're like, we got to go. And, uh. It was a long line. It took us 45 minutes to get seated. We were sitting outside. You know, they're like, how many? We're like, yeah, this many. And they're like, yeah, you. from line to line to line. So we had three lines before I could get a plate. But it, it, was, it was worth it in a way. Yeah, <laughs> it was worth it. That chicken was really good. That fried chicken is something else. Now, I wish they would build something here nearby, but I don't, I don't think they are going to do anytime soon. But now every time you visited that town, now, now think about that franchise, that restaurant, right? For me, it might be Johnny Rockets. I know there's one up the street, but I don't, I'm not a traveling person. But I've tried Johnny Rockets when I was in Daytona Beach, Florida. I like the burgers and the shake, um, as you can see. But every time you visited that town, you made sure you stopped at that eatery. Then you heard ex the exciting news that the company was planning to build a franchise in your community, and you eagerly awaited the grand opening of the new location. And when the restaurant uh, was finally operational, you were thrilled that you could now enjoy a meal at your favorite eatery whenever you wished. But then something strange happened, right? After eating at the restaurant a few times, you started to notice a few things you did not care for. Perhaps you had a negative experience with a server or your food was not cooked the way you preferred it. You still enjoyed eating at the restaurant, but the excitement was fading, right? In time, your favorite restaurant was no longer your favorite. In the most extreme cases, the people, the places, and the things we once adored become now the people and the places and the things we now despise. And that is when familiarity, when you get so used to that, we, became to, we, we begin to probably not like it. But we must be careful not to miss out what God has for us because we become too familiar with him. Amen. We must be careful not to miss out what God has for us because we become too familiar with him. Us as believers must be on guard against becoming desensitized by the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John warned the members of the church of Laodicea that they had become comfortable and did not realize that they were without hope and in great need. In Revelations 3, 17 through 18, I'm reading from the Amplified Version. 
Tells him, because you say, I am rich, and I have prospered and, gone and grown wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The Apostle John was letting them have it. He was telling them, you are without hope and in great need. I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated red, hot, and refined by fire, so that you may become truly rich. And white clothes, which represent righteousness, to close yourself, to close yourself so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen. And healing salve to put on your eyes that you may see. Uh, I, I know that there it says to anoint your eyes so that you may see. They needed to see themselves as God saw them, which would then lead to repentance. Amen. We got to see ourselves as sinners. Uh, Brother I'm not good with names. Whitley, thank you. At our marriage retreat, he reminded us that we married a sinner. Nobody say amen, please. But he reminded that we married a sinner. Saying that we were ex probably expecting, you know, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing. He said we ladies were probably expecting a man in shining armor, nice romantic guy. Guys were probably expecting a supermodel, you know, great cook, you know, What's that famous chef? Uh, yeah, Gordon Ramsay. No, the, the, the female. We, we, we buy her, her, Rachel Ray. There you go. A good cook, you know. But the reality is that we married a sinner, right? Well, that's, that's, that's for the marriage retreat. I'm not trying to, to be that dead horse. But, but we need to see ourselves as God sees us with Love, right? That we need repentance. God sees down, he sees sinners, but he loves the sinners. And we must partake of that love. We must be able to come to a place where we can repent. To get away from the corruption. To get away from the dirtiness. The longer we walk with God, the more we must be on guard against the tendency to take him for granted. The longer we walk with God... We must be on the guard against a tendency of thinking we don't need anything else from him. Familiarity with God's word and, word and ways can ironically cause, cause us to miss out on the work he wants to do through us and in us. But I want everything God has for me. Amen? Anybody want everything God has for you? Hallelujah. The Israelites had been led out of the power of the greatest empire in the world at that time. We all know the story, right? The children of Israel, they were enslaved for 400 years. They had been captive by the strongest then power in all the land, and that was Egypt. They had, they had been personal witnesses to plagues that afflicted the Egyptians but left Israel untouched. They had with their own hands smeared blood on the doorways of their homes and, they, and then heard cries of the Egyptians as their firstborns died. They had walked between towering walls of water that divided at the command of Moses. Then watched as those walls collapsed on the armies of the Pharaoh. They ate bread that miraculously appeared each morning, drank water gushing from a rock, felt Sinai shake, and saw it glow with fire. What people in all history had greater witness that God was with them and would use his uns unsurpassable power in their behalf? Who else but them? They had so much and were promised so much more even. But we all know the story, right? Because of their discontent, 
because they were too used to being close to God. And the script, I don't have it. I had um, Exodus chapter 27, I believe. It speaks about how God followed them as a pillar of fire by night and as a cloud by day. They were used to God's presence every, at all hours of the day. They were being fed. They were given water. They were given protection. But they still complained. They still did not obey. They still rebelled, right? And the point is that they were so used to having the presence of God around that they began to rebel against them, and they began to disobey. Let us not get too comfortable with the presence of God. We must show reverence, amen? It is common to act up when you're too comfortable around a person of authority. Amen? I'm going to say that one more time. It is common to act up when you're too comfortable around a person of authority. We've all seen it, that new coworker that knows the boss from a party or something. They probably begin working like, yes, sir, you know, Mr. John Doe, calling him whatever they call him, supervisor, whatever it is. But then you see how they start getting really comfortable with them. They're no longer called sir, they're called John, Johnny, little J, whatever the case may be, right? But you act up when you're too comfortable. I've done it before. You know, I'm guilty of that. I know I'm not the only one. Please, don't leave me. Thank you. But we may get too comfortable again uh, with a person of authority, and we may begin to act up, saying, well, I can get away with a couple things, right? They're okay with me doing this. And if we're not careful, we do that with God. Like, well, God is okay with me doing this little sin on the side. It's not that big, right? The truth is that sin is sin, amen? And so we cannot get comfortable around authority. We cannot get comfortable with God. We must always show reverence, amen? God has promises for Gentiles as well as for Israel. God's promises are not just for a select group of people. That's that's one of the problems the children of Israel thought. This is only for us. God is only for us. He's here with us. He's nowhere else, right? This difficult lesson was for, the Israel, for Israel to learn, and it remains difficult for us to accept today sometimes, right? We are usually comfortable believing God loves people who share our culture and ideology. It can be more difficult to accept that God loves people who don't look like us, talk like us, or even think like us. This can cause us to miss the work God wants to do through us and in us, but the promise is for everyone. Amen. Acts 2.38, very famous scripture. You know, uh, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, he, not, he wasn't only talking to the people, to the Jews that were there in that city. But it says, it continues, For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord God will, our God shall call. Now, we think that it's just for those that come to church on Sundays, for those that dress really nice on Sundays, you know, for those that may be around, grew up in church, or you know. But it tells here that the promise is for those that are even afar off, afar off from God, afar off from his promise, afar off from his purpose, as many as the God, uh, the Lord our God shall call. 
faith is a requirement to receive God's promises. Faith, not ethnicity, is a requirement to receive God's promise. At first, at first Jesus' synagogue sermon, so the sermon he preached in the synagogue, was well received by the people of Nazareth, right? Uh, Luke 4.22 says they wondered or they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. I just repeated that, I'm sorry. Their attitude changed, though, when he reminded them of the moment in Elijah's life. God sent the prophet Elijah to minister to a widow in Sarapath during a time of famine. Now, we all remember this sermon from Brother Roberts a couple weeks ago, right? Um, in 1 Kings 17, uh, 9 through 16, I'm not going to read all that. I'm going to read a part of it, though. The woman was not a member of the nation of Israel. Yet because of her faith in God, she received a continued supply of food during famine. Right? And we think that the promises are only for those that are surrounded by God's presence. But it's for them that are also afar off. First uh, Kings 17, 8 through 10, and then we're going to read 13 through 16. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto him. This is a prophet saying, Arise, get thee to the Sarapath, which belongeth to Sidon. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And he arose, and he went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city. Behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in the vessel, that I may drink. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after make... Make for thee and thy son. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither the, the cruise uh, of oil fail, until the day of the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did accordingly, uh, according to the saying of Elijah, and, she's, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which spake by Elijah. Now, this is, you know, like I said, we may think that the promise is only for those that are surrounded by God. But here it demonstrates that even it goes to the people that are far off. God's people had rejected the Lord and his prophet during this time. So God worked outside the boundaries of the nation of Israel. A Gentile received miraculous provision while faithless Israelites were hungry. Jesus' experience, experiences mirror Elijah's. They were the same. Well, Jesus' own people refused to believe in him. Uh, John 1 and 11 and 12 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was not received. Now imagine going back to your hometown and not being received. That hurt a little bit. <laughs> if I go back to Mexico, my cousins are like, who are, you know, get away from me. I'll, I'll be hurt because I haven't seen them in, like I said, 17 years. But he came to his own, and his own received him not. But to all who did receive him, right, those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus later of a certain Roman uh, centurion who was a Gentile, he said of him, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He was speaking about the, 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 the centurion who had a sick servant. He was, you know, very sick. He was almost dying. And he pretty much uh, he acknowledged that Jesus had authority. He compared the authority that Jesus has to the authority that he has with his men. 
He said, I, I can tell my man, go do this, go do that, and they'll do it. So I see you have authority to say things, and they will be done. That's what he told Jesus. Jesus' early, early, earthly ministry testified to the fact that God's promises are not constrained by national borders or limited to a certain ethnicity. Jesus was willing and remains willing to respond to anyone who exercises faith because faith is all you need. Faith is all you need to reach the promises of God. And God has promises for those not yet in the church. God's plan always has been bigger than any select group of people. On the day of Pentecost, Peter declared that God's promises were for all that are far off, like we read in Acts 2.39. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call, he said. Peter did not even believe his own words, right? Because he later struggled to accept that, the idea that God would fill Gentiles with the Holy Spirit. And, and you can read that in Acts 10, verses 9 through 48. I'm not going to read all that. But the truth finally hit him, causing Peter to declare, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. We must fear God. We must... We must show that reverence to God in order to partake of the promises of God. Peter nearly allowed his cultural and religious biases to keep him from participating in one of the most significant uh, salvific moments in the New Testament, and that is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. Likewise, we must not let the limitations of our own thinking constrain God's work in our community. If we do, God will likely bypass us in favor of our Cornelius or a Naaman, right? We, we, we have to understand that God wants to work in our community, and they'll come. I, I remember a, a preacher that came a long time ago said, they're going to come, they're not going to look like you, they're not going to talk like you, they're not going to dress like you, they're not going to have the same likes as you do, but they'll come. And what are we going to do when they come? Right? What are we going to do? Are we going to be like, this is not for you because you're not wearing a suit, because you're, you're a man and you're wearing a skirt. What are you doing here? You know? it, it may happen. It may happen. But what are we going to do when that time comes? Are we going to say, that's not for you? Or are we going to say, because you have faith in God, now you can serve in the purpose of God. So I must choose to believe all of God's promises. Luke contrasted the response of the people of Nazareth with what happened in the synagogue at Capernaum, which was Jesus' next stop in Nazareth. Jesus was merely given the opportunity to preach about the deliverance promised in Isaiah uh, 61, 1 through 2, but the people refused to believe. In Capernaum, Isaiah's promise of deliverance and liberty became reality when Jesus casted the devil out of the man. In Luke 4, 33 to 35, uh, as we read earlier, some people are content with merely hearing God's word proclaimed, while others have faith to see it fulfilled. Faith makes a difference. Are we satisfied with only hearing about what God can do? Or do we have faith to see God's word become a reality? It's easy to hear. It's easy to hear all these things, to read them, maybe. But are we willing to see them happening in front of us? I want to see those things. I want to see those things happening in this community. I want to see things happening in this church. Right? Though many rejected Jesus, he continued to do God's will. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah 
would be despised and rejected of man in Isaiah 53 and 3. Jesus frequently faced rejection during his ministry, including rejection from the people in, of his hometown. Yet he never allowed that rejection to derail his ministry. Regardless of whether he was welcomed with open arms or thrown out of the city, like in Luke 4.29, they wanted to toss him out the hills, Jesus continued to be faithful to his calling. His example stands as a challenge to his present-day followers to be faithful in the face of rejection. Now, Brother Wheatley say, said this morning, you know, Jesus was rejected. Jesus, there were things said about him. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But what we do when that happens will bring forth what the result will be. I, I believe a lot in cause and effect. I, I use that a lot. I tell my wife, I, I believe a lot in cause and effect. The cause, because you do something, will affect, will have an effect of the outcome of how things will be, right? So when that opposition comes, when that rejection comes, what we do with it, if we decide to ball up in, on the ground and start crying, like, oh, man, they don't want me. They don't want to hear what I have to say. They don't like me. They're saying things about me. The plan of God is not going to be fulfilled in your life. But if you stick to God's plan, if you stick to his words, if you stick to his ways, the outcome will be different. Right? Jesus, like it says here, even though he was rejected, it did not derail him from doing the, the work of God. It did not, you know, when, when the train gets derailed, meaning it, it collapses, something terrible happens. But he did not, he was not derailed. He continued on track. He continued going forward. He pushed through the rejection. Jesus' ministry was characterized by biblical teaching and miraculous confirmation. It is tempting and easy to base our sense of self-worth on the acceptance of others. Of others, sorry. As a result, we often bend our behavior to conform to the expectations of our associates. When I started coming to church, I would act one way Sunday and act a different way Monday. That's just the truth for me, all right? Maybe for some of you as well. But we're praying, right? We're in this. We're still in this. We judge whether we have done well by the feedback we received from life's audience. Jesus never fell into the trap. His ministry was established on God's words and God's power, not on humanity's approval. He did not need their acceptance. He knew he was going to get rejected. But he was not waiting for their approval. He just said, I'm just going to do what God wants me to do. I'm just going to do his will. His ministry, like I said, was established on God's word and God's power, not on humanity's approval. Doing God's will will often put him at odds with the culture in which he lived. He clashed with both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he never minced words to appease either party. His death came at the hands of the Romans who held the reins of government. Now it says here, he never minced words to appease either party. He never changed the word of God. He never changed what he had to say. Nowadays, we live in a culture where you must be politically correct, right? You can't talk about sin at work. You can't talk about the word of God at work, you know? M many jobs, I say, you do not talk about politics, religion, and money or, you know, other things, right? That's just where we live at. But he never missed the words. He never changed them. He never took away salt from the words, right? He kept it nice, nice and salty. Right? To appease to either party. He, he, he never tried to 
appease them. He never tried to, to um, please people. He wasn't a people pleaser. He was pleasing God. Amen. Jesus had the confidence to look at the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, in the face and tell him, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given to thee from above. Right? Despite this, Jesus' enemies recognized he was not like other men. One of the Pharisees who witnessed Jesus' miracles acknowledged that he was a teacher come from God. The Roman centurion who witnessed Jesus' crucifixion declared, Truly, this is the Son of God. But more important than the acknowledgement of his enemies was a con, uh, commendation of his heavenly father who said in Matthew 3, Matthew 3, 17, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He got the well done before he even, and I mean, he was, God was pleased with him. God was pleased with Jesus. And that's what we want to hear, right? Well done, that good and faithful servant, right? That's what we want to hear. And we will not get to hear that if we try to change things to appease, if we don't work in the will of God. The authoritative nature of Jesus' ministry. Luke recorded that the people of Capernaum were astonished, right, at the preaching of Jesus because his word was with power. That's in Luke 4.32. After seeing him cast the devil out of a man in their synagogue, they remarked in amazement, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirits, and they come out. They were astonished. They're like, wow, he casted out a devil in front of us. What authority and power does his word have? Jesus clearly expected New Testament believers to follow in his footsteps and exercise the same authority he exercised. He promised to baptize believers with the Holy Spirit, enduring them, or enduring them with the power to be witnesses. If you have the power, the Holy Spirit in you, you have the same power as Jesus did. The same power to raise the dead. The same power to heal the sick. The same power to cast out devils. The same power to lay hands on those that are sick and heal them. Right? The Holy Spirit will be accompanied by miraculous signs, including the power over demonic spirits, miraculous deliverance, supernatural protection, and healing. Right? According to Mark 16, 17 through 18. Those supernatural signs were intended to confirm that the authority of believers' ministries does not rest in their own abilities, but rather of the Word of God and in the Spirit of God, right? We're not doing it just because we have the ability. It's because God gives us that ability. We have God's power. And Jesus declared, even if they reject me, I will still do what God has called me to do. He still did what his Father called him to do. God closes some doors while others' doors close because people are faithless and disobedient. But we must not let the disappointment of a closed door stop us from walking through the open doors God has placed before us. Jesus did not quit preaching because things did not go well in Nazareth. Rather, he continued to fulfill God's calling. Our anointing does not come from our neighbors, our families, or our friends. It is not based on the acceptance of others. Our anointing comes from God. And if he has called and anointed us, then we must carry on with the mission that he has given us to complete. If you have power, if you have the spirit, you have the ability to do God's will. You have the ability to do what he has called you to do. All you have to do is obey. Many will not do it because of disobedience. Many will not do it because they're not happy where they are. Many will not do it because of the situation surrounding them. They're like, well, I'll just wait till everything is good. Well, you keep waiting all you want. Nothing's going to be better. 
right? But it is the power of God in us that will push us, that will enable us to fulfill his promise and the mission that he has given us. How we respond to rejection is what makes the difference between success and failure in both life and ministry. There's, often, there's an often repeated story about the trainer, Monty Roberts, that illustrates the perfect response to that in, re- in rejection. If, you, if you've never heard the story of, of uh, Monty Roberts, it's, it's, a really, it's a really nice one. Uh, Monty's father was an itinerant horse trainer who traveled from ranch to ranch. He, he you know, trained horses. Never staying in one place for long, right? The family struggled to make ends meet, though, and the boy's future did not look promising, especially considering that his education was frequently interrupted by the family's constant need to relocate from town to town. When Monty was a senior in high school, a teacher asked him to write a paper about what he wanted to be when he was older. The boy responded by writing a seven-page manuscript that described in detail the ranch he planned to own one day. I would have prayed for that, (laughs) definitely. But he detailed the ranch he planned to have one day. He submitted the paper and was surprised when he received an F on the assignment. Yeah. Imagine writing seven, y'all young ones, writing seven pieces of paper and receiving an F. Mm. They'll see a lawsuit right away. I did, um, you know how many not... I can't, I can't even take notes for half an hour. But imagine writing out seven pages. I won't say front and back, but, you know, let's just say he did just seven pages, right? And he received an F. When Monty asked why he had given a failing grade, the teacher responded, this dream is unrealistic for a boy in your situation. Another lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, they say that to my children. I was like, well, what's it to you, you know? <laughs> Yeah, even if it's true, you have no right to say that, right? The teacher responded, this dream is unrealistic for a boy in your situation. The teacher then suggested that he resubmit the assignment with a more realistic vision for his future. How about that? Cutting his wings right away. But according to the story, Monty took a few days to consider his response, and finally he went back to the teacher and said, you can keep your F, and I'll keep my dream. Today, hallelujah, today, Monty Roberts is a highly successful horse trainer, and he's the owner of a large ranch in California. You and I will face doubt and rejection. We can count on it. We will. And if people doubted Jesus, the only perfect man who ever lived, then they surely will doubt us. And we may even prove our doubters right occasionally, right? But the question is not whether people will believe in us, but rather will we believe in what God says about us? Will we believe God's word? Will we believe his promises? Will we believe he can use us despite our many flaws and imperfections? If we internalize rejection and believe what others think about us is the truth, it will severely limit what we are able to accomplish for God's kingdom. But if we follow the example of Jesus and keeping doing what God has called us to do, we will find there is no limit to what God can accomplish in and through us. Will you stand up to your feet? I'm ready to close. Now, there's no doubt that you and I will face rejection, will face affliction. 
But it is what we do with that that will, that will give testimony to the outcome, right? I, for one, can testify to the rejection. Being the only one in my family that is saved, I wouldn't say, that is baptized by the name of Jesus, that has received the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying for my family. I'm praying that they come to this truth as well. But the rejection will be out there. It may come from the ones that love you. It may come from your friends, your peers, your coworkers. But let us not be defined but by other people say, but let us be defined by his promises. Would you raise your hand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this word, Lord, and we give you thanks for the promises that you've given us. And Lord, we pray that you do everything you, you, you want to do in us, Lord. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. We're here as a living sacrifice, Lord. We're here to accept rejection. We're here to accept everything that comes against us. We are willing to suffer in order to do the perfect will of God, the perfect will that you have for us. And Lord, we pray that you empower us, that you will give us that liberty, Lord, to come and do the, the perfect word that you have for us. And Lord, we pray that even if we come against opposition, that everything that the enemy meant for evil, you will turn it for good. That every person that we minister to, Lord, gets that touch that sees, that sees you in us, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that your spirit be present with us. We pray that, you always be, that we always be filled with your spirit so that we may be able to impact others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Will you clap your hands unto the Lord in this hour? <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Uh, you all are dismissed. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to, to do this. And uh, thank you to leadership once again. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to